Hello and welcome to the Voice Extra podcast. My name is Tayo and I'm here with writer, producer and researcher Maddie. So how are you doing today Maddie? Yeah I'm good thanks Tayo, how are you doing? I'm pretty good. Uh, the weather's all right. I do- I always default to the weather. I realize I do this where I'm just like, yeah, the it's weather. It's a very British thing to do. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I'm a little bit disappointed. We're entering autumn mode, which means that suddenly the the nights are getting darker. I much prefer summer. I think. <laughs> <laughs> you're you're a summer person then. I think so. I probably don't get as much done in summer because I'm too busy lazing around in the heat, but. Overall, it's nice to have a bit of light in your day, you know? It's a bit more optimistic. That's a optimistic. good point. Sometimes you've got to chill. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So uh, what are we here to talk about today? So I have written a piece called Sleeping Beauties, British Theatres Have Been Left to Rot, um, which initially started out as a very different idea to what it has ended up becoming. Um, as is the case with a lot of big, long features, I think, and they kind of morph and change throughout their, throughout their journey. But essentially, it it's looking at uh, two theatres um, at either ends of the country who have been stagnant, who've been left empty since the 60s. But both of them have really strong community groups who are trying to bring life back into the spaces, whether that be to replace it with a theatre once more or give it a new life entirely as something else. Um, for example, one of the theatres in Doncaster, there's a proposal for it to be a boxing ring. Um, but obviously, COVID hit as I was doing a lot of the interviews and really changed the angle I had because a lot of the theatres um, up and down the country, whether they have been empty since the 60s or not, are now facing their own kind of period of silence, um, which is really challenging their future. So it's also become a little look at how kind of desperate the art scene is right now uh yeah so it's it's a pretty long piece but i'm quite proud of it yeah no it's really interesting and it's definitely got some characters in there so what are these two theatres that you focus on? So we have Streatham Hill Theatre uh, in London, which is a beautiful old uh, building which was built in the early uh, 1900s, late 1800s. Um, uh, actually, no, that's not Streatham. Streatham was built later uh, towards the end of the 20s, just as we were heading into this crazy economic crash. So it kind of was born out of a very peculiar situation. Um, and also in, in a time when theatre wasn't as popular because cinema was coming around uh, and so people were spending their leisure time doing different things. Theatre at the time I think seemed a little bit old-fashioned but regardless Streatham Hill Theatre became a wonderful hotspot for the community and lots of people in the area have some brilliant memories from it. So the Streatham Hill Theatre and then the opposite one I looked at was Doncaster Grand Theatre which was built in 1899 it's a tremendous old building. Um, it has served a life as many different things other than a theatre. At one point, it was a circus hall, um, which means that the base walls of this theatre are so thick, they're um, three feet thick, I think, just to make sure they could take the weight of the elephants that would come round in travelling circuses. And that, unfortunately, uh, had to shut down in the 60s uh, alongside the the theatre in Streatham because essentially they had no money anymore. It was really hard to bring audiences in. And I went into this expecting, okay, the story is going to be that cinema is what closed down the theatres or the war is what closed down the theatres. But actually, in both of these two cases, it was rather bizarrely the birth of bingo. Which I, I don't know about you, Tayo, but I had no idea it was as huge <laughs> as I later discovered it to be. Um, 
Bingo had come over from America in the 60s and uh, not only was it just a fun game that people could play and gamble somewhat, but it played a really important role in liberating working class women. Um, in the 60s, obviously, there was a baby. There had been a baby boom the decade before. Uh, housewives were very much the norm. Um, but for a lot of women, they were starting to get some kind of a disposable income because we were all recovering from the war. So these women would spend their money on going to the bingo and it became a huge multi-million pound business to the point where... On average, in the 60s, more people went to play bingo than went to the cinema. So that totally blew my mind. So those are the two theatres that I've looked at specifically. And I found them through a really interesting project called the Theatres Trust, where they build a study every year into different theatre spaces that have been abandoned but could maybe serve as a new new space for, for the art scene. Um, And they kind of put up a big database and uh, do a big study into the viability of these places. So using that that database, which has over 200 theatres up and down the country of varying sizes and shapes and and lifestyles, I guess. Um, And I found these two theatres and I just thought the bingo element of both of them was a really great comparison. But obviously the... The real sticking point of the article is whether they will actually be able to be used uh, in the modern day. And the comparison between the two in the modern day is kind of what's most interesting to me at the moment, because obviously Streatham, um, it's in a very bustling but suburban part of London. So there is actually a lot of scope for a new theatre space there there's a lot more money in London um, for the arts and I think people's cultural appetites are potentially greater in London because they're used to being around theatres and art etc whereas in Doncaster it's harder to find an audience Um, it's a really struggling part of the country I don't think it's really recovered economically since its days of mining which obviously ended in the 80s so it's still trying to struggling to find its place in terms of the cultural landscape. So for them to be able to find a new home for this theatre, I think they'll find it much trickier than in Streatham. Yeah. What do you think is the importance of keeping these theatres intact? That's a great question. I mean, the ultimate reason I think we should keep these theatres intact is because when people outside the UK think of theatre think of the UK I think often they will think of Shakespeare they will think of theatre and they'll think of our great cultural landscape as I've said before and some of these buildings are home to some of the UK's most brilliant writing talent they have such rich histories that I think would be such a shame if they were just bulldozed um, and forgotten about Um, so there's obviously that reason we should preserve their history but also as we're seeing with coronavirus, people are spending more and more time in the areas they live in rather than traveling to the nearest city or town. And these two prospective theatres kind of hold that place. They're in a place where people actually live and could could feasibly get to in a post-COVID world. And theatre brings so much to a community, whether you can afford it or not. I think theatres should be something everyone should experience. The joy of live theatre is something you can't recreate in a cinema. You can't recreate it on Netflix. It's something completely different. And so many theatres now are trying to do outreach programmes. So as I was saying, if you can't afford it, someone else will be there to 
help you get into that space. And I really see these two spaces as being exactly that. Places where anyone can come to enjoy live theatre and just escape from the world outside. Yeah, I think one of the things you kind of came on earlier was talking about how in different areas there might be different uh, challenges when it comes to um, kind of getting people involved in theatre. Do you think there is a problem more broadly with people's ability to access the arts and ability to access theatre, particularly outside of London? Absolutely. Uh, I mean, it's something we're talking about a lot again with COVID because we're now seeing a recession and along with a recession, it generally means huge cuts to public Uh, funding and a lot of the arts relies on uh, central government funding Um, there's not a huge deal of money in theatre in particular and so I think what we'll see in the future is once more a gap growing even bigger and bigger between the people who can afford to stay in this very expensive exclusive industry and the people that can't Um, and as we were saying before I think cultural appetite has a big role to play in uh, a theatre's lifespan um you know I think a lot of people might come to London to see all the big musicals and that's where the money is um and not necessarily think that there is actually some brilliant original work being done in regional theatres uh Sheffield Crucible York Theatre Royal Manchester Royal Exchange there's some fantastic fantastic regional theatres that really deserve our attention but without central funding I think it'll be really hard to make those spaces accessible you know make tickets cheaper um be able to put on school school visits pardon me school visits um all those important things that mean people who wouldn't necessarily grow up in an environment where they're taken to the theatre you know for Christmas be it a pantomime or a birthday treat they're not going to get there anymore and I think that's really terribly sad so again what would be so brilliant about bringing these new theatres back is that it would create a new buzz in those areas you know it's a completely new project and I think it could do great things for bringing new audiences into a theatre I mean I at the moment work in a a children's theatre in London called the Unicorn Theatre and I think they do an absolutely fantastic job of making it an accessible space we have so many school visits um, which are heavily subsidised for schools that need it Um, And I think it's particularly important to get young people involved in the theatre because that's when you really capture their imagination at a time when they're, you know, most malleable to new experiences. So I would love to see more of these abandoned venues taking on a new life, particularly as a theatre. But I guess post-COVID, it's hard to tell. (laughs) Yeah, definitely. I think a lot of theatres, established or not, are finding this massive difficulty and um i just pulled up a report that was done or released like a few like a week ago or something they said only like 12 percent of people working in music performance and visual arts were working class and it's kind of like telling in terms of who has access to the arts and therefore it that's probably reflected to some degree at least in the audiences and the ability to um bring people in absolutely um yeah, it's, it's funny you say that. I was reading an article John Boyega's um, been in today and he has said himself he is the product of arts funding. He went to a brilliant youth theatre in Peckham um, 
which again was subsidized by some kind of arts council funding I think um and that is really what opened his eyes to the world of theatre and performance and acting. And I think he would consider himself working class. Um, and now he's still kind of facing the backlash of being from that environment. Um, he talks about in this interview, his role in Star Wars, he feels was kind of played down um, and how the more traditional, traditionally um, word this, people that have been able to access the arts industry much easier, people like his co-stars Daisy Ridley um, and Adam Driver um, were kind of getting a lot more of the attention and the kind of nuanced reporting and criticism and he felt a lot of that reflected on his background which is really really tragic to see but also how fantastic that here is a success story of someone who really benefited from accessibility in the arts and it just makes our experience as an audience so much more exciting because we get to hear different voices and see different people in some really fantastic stories so yeah I totally agree I think there's a huge problem of class in theatre and as I say I think it's only going to get worse um, given that funding is inevitably going to be cut and I think you know it's so important to have the arts in schools as well not just to create you know some brilliant acting talent some directing talent but because it's a great outlet for young people you know school shouldn't just be about can you do algebra are you gonna become a medical professional you know very important things of course but everyone should be allowed to let loose and express themselves so drama classes music lessons I think are so important in in secondary schools in particular and again to see that they're being squeezed off the curriculum through lack of funding for those teachers for that time because schools are so stretched is a massive shame and I think now that we're seeing less and less of that in schools that's also going to impact the theatrical landscape here it's a shame and it's like a really tough situation and I what do you think are the ways that we as people who aren't like the government can actually make the situation better or at least make it not as bad in the future if we assume this funding is going to be less and going to be cut I think we've got to fight for the services we've been able to benefit from in the past. Um, I do a fair amount of work with youth theatres. Um, and if you do have the time to volunteer, volunteer. I know obviously that's not accessible for everybody at all. A lot of people um, need to spend every working hour of the day earning money. But if you do have a bit of time, spend it in those places where you can offer your help and your time. I think that's a really important thing. Um Maybe that's one thing we can do. Also, vote with your feet. You know, we have a choice of um, a variety of different political candidates in this country. And it's very clear, I believe, which ones of those are going to be able to offer you more funding for the arts. So vote. That could also influence some incredible national decisions. Um, But I think, yeah, ultimately giving your time and supporting the art you are watching by paying you know it really frustrates me when I see my friends bootlegging films for example of course the film industry is not exactly (laughs) down in the dumps right now I mean there's a lot of money going around in their circles but you know if you can afford to do go to the theatre do spend your money on a ticket if you can um, if you're lucky enough to be able to do so because ultimately it will be put back into this wonderful pot that we can all share I hope Hopefully, yeah. I think that's that's maybe like a good note to end this on is that like you kind of need to do what you can because these a lot of this stuff for the theatres trust is just people deciding to re-energize these theatres and to use these spaces which are left dormant to kind of create community. 
And I think it's important that we try and do that in our own various ways. And obviously everyone can do this in their own way. And not everyone has the time, as you said, or the energy or whatever else, the ability. But I think it's important that we do try and do what we can because there's so many spaces and there's so many communities that could use the arts and could use the, and I think it's important that we have these art spaces in wherever we can. Yeah. And if I might add, just going back to the article, I mean, you know, joining those local community groups, it doesn't cost anything except for your time, support them, get behind them, volunteer with them. If you have you know, a lot of them are looking for social media um, strategies or someone who can build a website or somebody who can create a, a banner or someone who can contribute to a viability study. You know, you might have skills that you didn't know were valuable to these groups. And through the people I found when writing this article, um, you know, as you said at the beginning, I met some absolutely fantastic characters. Um, we've got the lovely Margaret from Doncaster, who she performed um, in Doncaster Grand Theatre um, when she was just 16. And she has some gorgeous stories about the place. And it's just wonderful to hear all her memories of a place. You know, you'll meet people like that if you join these groups. Uh, I also spoke to a wonderful woman called Jill, who has a gorgeous story about Streatham Hill Theatre. She was named after a pantomime that was put on there that her dad performed in. And again, her relationship with the theatre, even though she doesn't live in the area anymore, is still a, a glorious one. And she is trying to give back um, her incredible memories through volunteering with this community group. So at the end of the day, it's all about the people involved. And I think a final thing we can do is support these groups because they do have an impact in their local area. And the Theatres Trust has proved that through campaigning locally, you can make a difference. There's lots of theatres that have been able to um, regain a new life as a result of being on that list. So there's hope for the future. Yeah, exactly. So if people want to talk to you about this hope, about this, these ideas, about trying to do new things in terms of theatre, where would they find you online? Uh, well, I have pretty much every social media platform going. I'm at Dream on Maddie on Twitter and Instagram. Uh, I also have a YouTube channel, uh, Dream on Maddie, where I talk about film as well. So if you want to join the conversation over there, hop on board. Uh, but Twitter's probably my favourite platform at the moment, like most journalists. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, um, thank you for joining me today. Um, thank you so much. Yeah, it's good. Um, today's episode was made possible by Voice Magazine, an online platform for young people interested in art and culture. You can read Voice over at voicemag.uk and find it on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook as VoiceMagUK. The Voice contributors also run our own Instagram account at voice.extra. So it will have like, if someone, one of us has like watched a film and we'll talk about that, or if we're somewhere interesting for reviewing or interviewing, we might have some stuff from there. Um, if you enjoyed the podcast, please consider helping us to make more with a donation of any amount at voicemag.uk slash donate. If you're looking for another podcast to listen to, the Voice Magazine podcast has weekly interviews with artists and leaders in the creative sector. Loads of different people. Really interesting. I suggest listening to it. And thanks to Kevin McLeod for letting us use the track Shaving Mirror. You can find his stuff on incompetech.com. And also this podcast was executive produced by Tom Innes. So if you like that, if you like this podcast, you like what's happening here, he's you got to give him credit for that. 
and also please rate review share with your friends you know tweet instagram it whatever do what you want share it thank you and we will see you next week bye bye